Hey, welcome to Coffee with the DJ Coach. Uh, we are here actually on the go, on the run. Um, and today we actually have coffee. Yay! It's actually not bad. Although I don't know if I should be having coffee as I'm recording this because it is pretty late at night already, but it is what it is. We're on the road, we're on the go. Um, today I actually want to talk to you about a story. Um, and I think we'll start here. So um, some of you may know the name DJ AM. Uh, rest in peace to Adam Goldstein. Um, he was an incredible DJ based out of LA. Uh, he and DJ Z Trip were sort of known for their open format style, or which today is now known as open format. But sort of at the time, this is early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s to mid 2000s. Um, I mean, I remember AM and I were playing the same circuit. So it was the Hollywood nightclub circuit. And I'd run into AM and he'd be the guy who would be booked to play a hip hop club. And in the middle of the night, in the middle of the night, he would drop Sweet Home Alabama in the middle of a hip hop club. And I remember thinking, this guy's got some balls. Like how, like really? Middle of the night, switch it up like that. And he did it so masterfully. Um, you know, would drop in Sweet Home Alabama and then sort of mix in a Biggie acapella underneath the guitar part and just, just crazy stuff. This is on vinyl too, by the way. And I remember when AM got his hands on Serato, which was called uh, Serato Scratch Live. This is pre-Serato DJ Pro. Um, just some of the things that he was doing and how creative he could be and how quickly he could load songs. It was so much faster for somebody like that who was mixing so creatively because before you'd have to go and grab the record, put the records down, take the records off, like all those seconds, he was able to just fire up something on the laptop. Um, and anyways, I want to tell this story about uh, DJ AM because um, I just, I don't know. I just feel like it's something that I want to share with you. So bear with me here. Uh, we're going to go on a little bit of a journey here, some storytelling. Uh, for those of you who maybe don't know a little bit about my history, in college, I went to college at UCLA. I met some friends there. Um, these friends were starting a online record store and they decided to call it DJ City, which many of you know the name DJ City. And we were running all of this out of an apartment in West LA and we were selling records online. And then I asked, uh, I got asked to become a part of the it wasn't even really, a, I mean, I guess it was a company. It was like a project initially, and then it turned into a company. And I got asked to come in and I started doing the distribution. So what we were doing was we were distributing records that were DJ specific records. So what, so what it was, for those of you who don't know, mo when you used to buy vinyl records, you bought the single. And the single would be like $5.99 for a single for a single song, but it would have like the instrumental, uh, maybe the radio version, maybe the album version. And if you were lucky, it had the acapella as well. And you'd have two pieces on each side. And that was what you would go and buy. So as a DJ, especially more of a hip hop DJ, you would go and you'd buy two copies of the record because a lot of the songs were hard to get into. So they didn't have intros or they didn't have instrumental intros, which today now, 
most of you probably subscribe to a record pool like DJ City or BPM Supreme or Direct Music Service or Club Killers, you name it. You know, there's so many record pools that are out there. But back then, you you didn't have extended intros that you could just download or that you could just go get. So what we started doing was we we found people who were making these records that not only did they make the intro versions of these songs, but then they took the intro versions of the songs, put six of them on a record, three on one side, three on the other side, and then they were selling these. And so they would sell these for anywhere from $12.99 to like 20 bucks for this like DJ compilation. So <clears throat> you had like um, Jazzy Jim up in San Francisco who really had some of the more prominent ones like uh, he he ran something called Strictly Hits and he had Lethal Weapons, Top Secret, uh, Mix Factors. Those are his records. So we started, we were buying his records already and we were turning around and reselling them. But then we got in touch with Jim to then become the wholesaler, like the distributor. And so that was my role was I came in to run distribution. I created a company called Urban Distribution. It was basically cold calling record stores all day um, in between classes, trying to sell these records and trying to then ship these records out. And because we were doing that, we also had our retail side. So we were making a good margin on these records, right? So we're making money on this side selling to record stores, and then we're making even more on this side selling directly to our customers. And so anyways, I'm telling you all this because this is how Aim and I got to know each other and this is how I started to get to know some of the other people that played a real role in Aim's life and even since he's passed. So I ended up um, meeting Kevin Scott, uh, who is a DJ out of Las Vegas now. And Kevin used to actually live in Orange County. And Kevin Scott decided he was going to create some of these compilation records as well. So like Fat Wax, Reruns, Crate Savers. Kevin Scott was creating these and we became his official distribution. We became his exclusive distributor. And so we were pushing that out to all these different stores. And then we decided to also open up a, a record store. So we opened up a record store in West LA called Rehab Records. Technically it was called Rehab Projects. It was an acronym, Real Experiences in Hip Hop and Beats. It was on the West Side in LA. Um, we used to throw events. Um, K-Dot, a.k.a. Kendrick Lamar, came through th through our spot several times. Uh, Breezy Lovejoy, who you now know as Anderson Pock, used to come by as well. Um, man, Glasses Malone, uh, Nipsey Hussle, like a bunch of like West Coast rappers. And then also, we had an incredible relationship with a lot of the labels. So we had Rick Ross through there, Nas through there, Rihanna, when she was first signed to Def Jam, came through to, to our store. And anyways, we really became this fixture on the west side. And I got to know a lot of the DJs because they were coming to our store to, to grab records. And AM was one of them. And that's how AM and I initially met was through that. And, and then we also met through the club circuit. But um, yeah, I used to sell him records. And, and after he passed, I remember they were selling his record collection. And somebody called up. 
<clears throat> to our store and said, hey, we want to bring AM's records by your store. Everything that I guess didn't sell or, you know, whatever was left over from after they had sold a bunch of his records. Do you want them? I was like, yes, we want them. So they bring the, the records by. And um, again, this is after AM passed. I'm going through a crate and it's late at night. I mean, it's probably midnight, maybe past midnight. And I remember, not to be all dramatic, but it was a dark and stormy night, for real. There was, it was raining outside, there were thunderstorms, and I was in the store uh, with actually a friend of mine, Verse, and we were going through the records, and you can, you can check with Verse if you don't believe this story, but you can check with Verse. Going through the records, and as I'm going through the records, uh, I come across a top secret record. That's the, that was the name of it. That was the one that Jazzy Jim used to uh, create. And that was the one that we were selling. And it had my name on it with my signature. And I'm like, did AM steal, <laughs> steal this record from me? Did I leave it at the club? Like, what? This is crazy. I'm finding my record. Maybe I sold him my copy, you know, because that, that would happen too sometimes. We'd run out and I'd sell him my copy. And by the way, shout out to DJ Edsky as well, who used to come and pick up records for AM sometimes. And and I, and, and I don't know what it was, but either way, like, here it is. Here's this record. It's staring me in the face. And I'm like, this is wild. I flip to the next record. The next record is the, is a Michael Jackson single. Michael Jackson, the way you make me feel. And I'm like, what? What? This is crazy. But I can feel there's another record in the sleeve. So I pull the records out. It's the way you make me feel the single of it, and then the other record was Tears for Fears, Everybody Wants to Rule the World. And I looked at those two records, and I was just like, huh, this is, this is AM telling me I played these two records together. In that moment, we stopped everything. We stopped going through the records, went to the turntables, start playing the way you make me feel, listening to it. Can I, I'm hearing it in my head. I'm like, it's the same drums. It's the same instrumental. And then I mix in Tears for Fears, Everybody Wants to Rule the World. And I'm just like, and it, it lined up. I mean, it was like magic. It lined up without me really trying and, and putting much effort into it. So to this day, if you ever hear me play Tears for Fears, Everybody Wants to Rule the World, right after it is the way you make me feel and vice versa. And that's my story about DJ AM. We'll see you on the next one.